This was our first day in England, and Eddie and I had been sightseeing all over London. Our parents had to be at a conference at our hotel, so they signed us up with a tour group, and off we went. We toured the British Museum, walked through Harrods Department Store, visited Westminster Abbey and Trafalgar Square. For lunch, we had bangers and mash. <laughs> you know, sausages and mashed potatoes at a real English pub. Then the tour group took a great bus ride, sitting on top of a bright red double-decker bus. London was just as I had imagined it, big and crowded. Narrow streets lined with little shops and jammed with those old-fashioned-looking black taxis. Of course, my scaredy-cat brother was totally nervous about traveling around a strange city on our own. But I'm 12 and a lot less wimpy than he is. And I managed to keep him pretty calm. There were about 12 of us in the tour group, mostly old people. Eddie and I were the only kids. We took a long bus ride to the outskirts of the city. The shops gave way to rows of tiny red brick houses. Then we passed even older houses hidden behind low, ivy-covered walls. Then the bus pulled to a stop. We climbed out and followed a narrow street made of bricks, worn smooth over the centuries. The street ended at a high wall. Behind the wall, the terror tower rose up darkly. I shivered and zipped my coat up to my chin, glaring at my brother. I'm scared. Eddie, this was your idea. I mean, I didn't beg and plead to see the terror tower. You did. We both gazed up at the gloomy old castle built of gray stones, darkened over time. Its two narrow towers rose up like two stiff arms at its sides. Storm clouds hovered low over the dark towers. Didn't feel like spring. The air was heavy and cold. I felt a raindrop on my forehead, then another on my cheek. A perfect London day, I thought. A perfect day to visit the famous Terror Tower. Hurry, Sue. We'll lose the group. They'll wait for us. Stop worrying, Eddie. We won't get lost. We jogged over the old bricks and caught up with the others. Wrapping his long black overcoat around him, Mr. Starks, our bald red-faced tour guide, led the way through the entrance. He stopped and pointed at a pile of gray stones in the large grass-covered courtyard. That wall was the original castle wall. It was built by the Romans in about the year 400. London was a Roman city then. Only a small section of the wall still stood. The rest had crumbled or fallen. I couldn't believe I was staring at a wall that was over 1,500 years old. We followed Mr. Starks along the path that led to the castle and its towers. This was built by the Romans to be a walled fort. After the Romans left, it became a prison. They started many years of cruelty and torture within these walls. This was London's first debt of prison. If you were too poor to pay your bills, you were sent to prison, which meant that you could never pay your bills. So you stayed in prison forever. The castle cast a deep shadow over the path. Mr. Starks led us up to a narrow entrance at the side. Then he stopped and turned back to the group with a sorrowful expression on his face. I am so sorry to give you this bad news. You will all be imprisoned in the North Tower. There you will be tortured until you tell us the real reason why you chose to come here. Huh? We're going to be tortured? Just a little terror tower joke. <laughs> I've got to have some fun, you know. <laughs> that guy is crazy. Actually, Mr. Starks was a very good tour guide, very cheerful and helpful, and he seemed to know everything about London. My only problem was that sometimes I had trouble understanding his British accent. I noticed Eddie was clinging very close to me. 
Mr. Starks raised a red pennant on a long stick. We are going to enter the torture chamber first. Please stick together. I'll carry this high so you can find me easily. It's so easy to get lost inside. There are hundreds of chambers and secret passages. Wow, cool. You will see some very unusual torture devices. The wardens had many ways to inflict pain on their poor prisoners. We recommend that you do not try them at home. <laughs> I couldn't wait to get inside. The group began to file through the narrow doorway into the castle. I asked you again to stick together. My last tour group was lost forever in there. Most of them are still wandering the dark chambers. My boss really scolded me when I got back to the office. <laughs> Turn around, Eddie. Let's go in. The others are getting ahead of us. I just want to take your picture at the castle entrance. I took a step back and pulled my camera from my coat pocket. Eddie made a dumb face, and I pressed the shutter release and snapped the picture. I had no way of knowing that it was the last picture I would ever take of Eddie. Mr. Starks led the way to a large wooden structure in the center of the room. The group huddled closely around him. This is the rack. Wow, it's real. The prisoner was forced to lie down here. His arms and legs were strapped down. When that big wooden wheel was turned, the ropes pulled his arms and legs, stretching them tight. Turned the wheel more, and the ropes pulled tighter. Sometimes the wheel was turned, and the prisoner was stretched and stretched, until his bones were pulled right out of their sockets. I believe that is what is called doing a little long stretch in prison. <laughs> Glancing up, my eye caught a dark figure standing on the other side of the rack. He was very tall and very broad, dressed in a long black cape. He had pulled a wide-brimmed hat down over his forehead, hiding most of his face in shadow. His eyes glowed darkly out from the shadow. Was he staring at me? I poked Eddie. See that man over there? The one in black? Is he in our group? I've never seen him before. He's weird. Why is he staring at us like that? The big man pulled the hat lower. His eyes disappeared beneath the white brim. His black cape swirled as he stepped back into the shadows. Mr. Starks pointed to the rack. Any volunteers? <laughs> I decided I had to have a picture of this thing. My friends would really think it's cool. I reached into my coat pocket for my camera. Hey, I don't believe this, Eddie. Did you see my camera? I searched the other pocket. Then I searched my jeans pockets. I stopped when I saw the sly grin on my brother's face. He held up his hand with my camera in it, and his grin grew wider. The mad pickpocket strikes again. You're obnoxious. I started to tell him to keep his hands off my camera, but Mr. Starks motioned for the group to follow him into the next room. As Eddie and I hurried to keep up, I glimpsed at the man in the black cape. He was lumbering up behind us, his face still hidden under the wide brim of his hat. I felt a stab of fear in my chest. Was the strange man watching Eddie and me? Why? What are these? Thumb screws. Very nasty. This is a whole room of very nasty items. Eddie really didn't like scary things, especially when they were real. He is such a wimp. Sometimes I can't help myself. I have to give him a hard time. I reached behind the rope barrier and picked up a pair of metal handcuffs. 
They were heavier than I imagined, and they had a jagged row of metal spikes all around on the inside. Sue, put those down. See, Eddie, when you clamp it shut, the jagged spikes cut into your wrist. Ow! Eddie, help! I can't get it off! It's cutting me! It's cutting me! Help me! Get me out of this! I wailed, thrashing my arm frantically, tugging at the chain. Eddie turned as white as a ghost. <laughs> I couldn't keep a straight face any longer, and I slid the handcuff off my wrist. <laughs> Got you back. That's for stealing my camera. Now we're even. Follow me, please. Eddie and I moved closer as our tour group huddled around Mr. Starks. We're going to climb the stairs to the North Tower now. They are quite narrow and steep, so we will have to go single file. Please watch your step. It's so dark. Hurry up, Sue. Don't get too far behind. My coat brushed against the stone wall as I climbed. I'm pretty skinny, but the stairway was so narrow I kept bumping the sides. After climbing for what seemed like hours, we stopped on a landing. Straight ahead of us was a small, dark cell behind metal bars. This is a cell in which political prisoners were held. Enemies of the king were brought here. You can see it was not the most comfortable place in the world. We have not reached the top of the tower yet. Let us continue our climb. The stone steps became steeper as we made our way up the curving stairway. I trailed my hand along the wall as I followed Eddie up to the top. And as I climbed, I suddenly had the strangest feeling that I had been here before. That I had followed the twisting stairs, that I had climbed to the top of this ancient tower before. Of course that was impossible. Eddie and I had never been to England before in our lives. The feeling stayed with me as our tour group crowded into the tiny chamber at the top. Had I seen this tower in a movie? Had I seen pictures of it in a magazine? Why did it look so familiar to me? Perhaps you can feel the sadness in this room. We all huddled closer to hear him better. Eddie stared up at the window, his expression solemn. This is the tower room where a young prince and princess were brought. It was the early 15th century. The prince and princess Edward and Susanna of York were locked in this tiny tower cell. Imagine. Two children, grabbed away from their home, locked away in the drab chill of this cell in the top of a tower. I suddenly felt cold. I zipped my coat back up. Eddie had his hand shoved deep in his jeans pockets. His eyes grew wide with fear as he gazed around the tiny dark room. The prince and the princes weren't up here for long. That night, while they slept, the Lord High Executioner and his men crept up the stairs to keep the prince and princess from ever taking the throne. Mr. Stark shut his eyes and bowed his head. The silence in the room seemed to grow heavy. No one moved. No one spoke. I shut my eyes, too. I tried to picture a boy and a girl, frightened and alone, Trying to sleep in this cold stone room, the door bursts open. Strange men break in. They don't say a word. They rush to smother the boy and girl right in this room, right where I am standing now, I thought. I opened my eyes. Eddie was gazing at me, his expression troubled. This is really scary. Yeah, 
The prince and princess were As Mr. Starks led the group out of the tiny cell, my camera fell out of my hand. It clattered noisily on the stone floor. I bent to pick it up. Oh, look, Eddie, the lens broke. Shh, I missed what Mr. Starks said about the prince and princess. But my camera. I shook it. I don't know why. It's not like shaking it would help fix the lens. What did he say? Did you hear? Sorry, I missed it. Sue, come on. Okay, okay. Let's get out of here. This room is just too frightening. Too sad. We took a few steps toward the stairs and stopped. Mr. Starks and the tour group had disappeared. Where did they go? They left us here. Oh, they must be on their way back down the stairs. Let's go. I gave him a gentle push. Eddie lingered close to me. Why didn't we hear them leave? Why did they leave so fast? I think Mr. Starks was eager to get everyone on the bus and back to their hotels. The tower closes at five, I think. Hurry. I don't want to be locked in. This place gives me the creeps. Me too. I glanced at my watch. It was already 5.20. Where are they? Why can't we hear the others on the stairs? The air grew cooler as we climbed lower. A pale yellow light washed over the landing just below us. My hand swept through something soft and sticky. Cobwebs, yuck. I could hear Eddie's rapid breathing behind me. The bus will wait for us. Just stay calm. Mr. Starks won't drive off without us. Is anybody down there? Can anybody hear me? Where are the guards? Eddie, please don't get so worked up. It's late. The guards are probably closing up. Mr. Starks will be waiting for us down there, I promise you. We stepped into the pale light of the landing. The small cell we had seen before stood against the wall. Don't stop. Keep going, Sue. Hurry. Eddie, we'll be fine. We're almost down to the ground. But look! Eddie pointed frantically. I saw at once what was troubling him. There were two stairways leading down. One to the left of the cell and one to the right. That's strange. I don't remember a second stairway. Which one is the right one? I'm not sure. I stepped over to the one on the right and peered down. I couldn't see very far because it curved so sharply. Which one? Which one? I don't think it matters. I mean, they both lead down, right? Come on, I think this is the one we took when we were climbing up. I took one step down, then stopped. Heavy footsteps coming up the stairs. Eddie grabbed my hand. Who's that? Probably Mr. Starks. He must be coming back up to get us. Mr. Starks? Is that you? Mr. Starks? <gasps> the huge man in the black cape stepped into view. His face was still hidden in darkness, but his eyes glowed like burning coals as he glared up to Eddie and me from under the black, wide-brimmed hat. Is this the way down? He didn't reply. He didn't move. His eyes burned into mine. I struggled to see his face, but he kept it hidden in the shadow of the hat pulled low over his forehead. I took a deep breath and tried again. We got separated from our group. They, they must be waiting for us. Is this the way down? Again, he didn't reply. He glared up at us menacingly. He is so big, I realized. He blocks the entire stairway. He raised a huge hand covered in a black glove. He pointed up at us. You will come with me now. I do not want to hurt you.
But if you try to escape, I will have no choice. Eddie let out a sharp gasp. My mouth dropped open as the man edged closer. And then I realized who he was. You're a guard here, right? You, you, you scared me. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that costume and everything. You work here, right? I'm sorry we're so late. We, we lost our group. I guess you want to close up so you can go home. You know why I'm here. No, I don't. He grabbed me by the shoulder. Hey, let go of her. But the caped man grabbed my brother, too. His gloved fingers dug sharply into my shoulder. Hey! He backed us against the cold stone wall. I caught a glimpse of his face. A hard, angry face. A long, sharp nose, thin lips, twisted in a snarl. And the eyes. The cold, glowing eyes. Let us go. We have to meet our group. We're leaving now. You can't keep us here. Do not move. Stand there. Do not try to escape. Listen, sir, if we've done something wrong, at least tell us. I watched him reach into the fold of his black cape. He struggled for a moment, then pulled something out. At first I thought they were rubber balls, three of them. But as he clicked them together, I realized he was holding smooth white stones. What is going on here? I asked myself. Is he crazy? Crazy and dangerous? Listen, sir, we have to go now. Don't move, and do not make a sound. You have my final warning. Eddie and I exchanged frightened glances. My back against the stone wall, I tried edging slowly toward the nearest stairway. Mumbling to himself, the man concentrated on the three smooth white stones. He piled one on top of the other. He let out an angry growl as one of the stones fell to the floor. It bounced once and slid across the smooth surface. This is our chance, I thought. I shoved Eddie toward the other stairwell. Run! The man grabbed up the stones. His booming voice thundered off the stone walls. Do not move! I warn you, you cannot escape me! My brother's eyes were bugging out of his head, but he didn't have to be told twice to run. Stop! Keep going, keep going, we're almost out of here. The exit, we're here, we're out, we're safe. Eddie shoved the door hard with his shoulder. It didn't move. Shove it again, it's locked, we're locked in. No, push! We both lowered our shoulders and pushed with all our strength. No, the door didn't budge. The man lumbered closer. We're trapped, I realized. He's caught us. Why does he want us? What is he going to do? One more try. Stay there. But Eddie and I gave the door one more desperate shove, and it finally moved, scraping the stone floor as it slid open part way. Eddie sucked in his breath and pushed through the opening first. Then I squeezed through. <sighs> We're safe. I spun away from the door, but we weren't outside. We were in a huge dark room and a cruel voice in the room with us, a man's voice laughing softly, told me that we weren't out of trouble. You have entered the king's dungeon. Abandon all hope. <laughs> Eddie pointed. Across the room, I could see a barred cell against the wall. We crept forward a few steps. Then we saw it. 
a bony hand reaching out from between the bars. No! Eddie and I jumped back. The pounding on the door behind us made us both jump again. The caped man raged from the other side of the door. You cannot escape. This can't be happening. There aren't any dungeons today. Trembling with fright, I stared at the hand poking out from a distant corner. Then I glimpsed a slender crack of light. Another doorway. I started to run toward it and tripped over something, something chained to the floor. It was a body sprawled on the floor. I landed on its chest. My foot tangled in the chains as my knees and elbows hit the stone floor hard. Pain shot through my entire body. The body didn't move. I scrambled up, stared down at it, and realized it was a dummy. Not real, just a dummy chained to the floor. Eddie, it's not real. Huh? It's not real. None of it. Look, the hands in the dungeon cells, they're not moving. It's all a display, Eddie. Just a display. You have entered the king's dungeon. Abandon all hope. <laughs> then more evil laughter. Just a tape. Just a recording. We're okay. And then the door burst open and the big man roared into the room, his cape fluttering behind him, his dark eyes glowing in victory. Eddie and I froze in the middle of the floor. The caped man froze too. We stared through the dim light at each other, frozen like the dummies in the cells. You cannot escape. You know you will not leave the castle. Leave us alone. What do you want? Why are you chasing us? You know the answer. Are you ready to come with me now? Get ready to run. You know you have no choice. He reached both hands into the folds of his cape. Once again, he pulled out the mysterious white stones. You've, you've made a mistake. I have made no mistake. Do not run from me again. You know you must come with me now. Eddie and I didn't need a signal. Without saying a word to each other, without glancing at each other, we spun around and started to run. No! He took off after us. The room seemed to stretch on forever. It must be the entire basement of the castle, I realized. How do we get out of here? We're trapped, Sue. No. I spotted a work table against the wall, cluttered with tools. I searched for something to use as a weapon. Didn't see anything. Grabbed a flashlight instead. Frantically pushed the button. Would it work? Yes. A white beam of light darted over the floor. I raised it to the far wall. Eddie, look. A low opening in the wall. Some kind of tunnel? A tunnel we could escape through? In another second, we were ducking our heads and stepping into the dark opening. I kept my light ahead of us, down at our feet. We had to stoop as we ran. The tunnel was curved at the top and not high enough for us to stand. The tunnel ran straight for a while, then curved down and to the right. The air felt damp and cool. It's an old sewer. That means it has to lead us out somewhere. Uh, I hope so. Running hard, we followed the curve of the sewer. My light leaped about, jumping from the low ceiling to the damp stone floor. The light revealed wide metal rungs hanging from the ceiling. Eddie and I had to duck even lower to keep from smashing our heads against them. The light from my flashlight bounced wildly from the floor to the rungs along the top of the sewer. Eddie and I splashed through puddles of dirty water. We both gasped when we heard the footsteps behind us. I glanced back. 
but the caped man was hidden by the curve of the sewer tunnel. I could tell he wasn't far behind. I stumbled forward. The flashlight bumped against the wall and fell from my hand. I clattered to the tunnel floor and rolled in front of me. The light shone back into the tunnel, back toward the caped man. I saw him move into view, bent low, running hard. <gasps> we froze. That was all the time the caped man needed. He grabbed Eddie with both hands. He pulled the black cape around my brother, trapping him. Then he lunged for me. I told you, there is no escape. I ducked out of his reach and grabbed the flashlight off the floor. I planned to use it as a weapon, to shine it in the caped man's eyes or swing it at his head. But I didn't get a chance. I froze in horror as the beam of light bounced down the tunnel. And I saw the rats, hundreds of them, hundreds of chittering gray rats, snapping their jaws hungrily, gnashing their jagged teeth as they came charging at us. Their shrill whistling and chittering echoed through the tunnel. The terrifying sound made my breath catch in my throat. The tiny red eyes glowed in the light as they scrambled toward us. As they pulled their scrawny bodies over the hard floor, their tails slithered behind them like dark snakes. The caped man saw them too. He leaped back in surprise and Eddie came tearing out from under the cape. He gulped in shock as his eyes locked on the charging rats. Jump, Eddie, jump! Eddie didn't move. We both gaped at the rats in horror. A churning sea of whistling, chewing, red-eyed rats. A living tidal wave of rats. Jump, jump now! I raised both hands, jumped. Eddie jumped too. We grabbed onto the metal bars embedded in the sewer roof. Pulling myself up, I frantically lifted my feet as high as I could from the floor. Higher, higher as the rats charged underneath me. A foul odor rose up, nearly choking me as the rats ran past. They jumped at my shoes, scratched at my legs with their sharp claws, and kept coming. I turned to see the caped man start to run back. He stumbled with lurching steps as he tried to flee the thundering wave of rats. His arms shot forward as if reaching for safety. The black cape whipped up behind him. The wide-brimmed hat flew off his head and floated to the floor. A dozen rats pounced on it and began chewing it to pieces. Rats leaped up at his cape, clawing it, snapping their jaws, and shrieking excitedly. A second later, he disappeared around the curve of the sewer. The rats scrambled noisily after him. As they vanished around the curve, the sounds all blended together, became a roar. A roar that rang through the long sewer. A roar of horror. My arms were both aching, throbbing with pain, but I kept my feet high off the floor. I didn't let go of the metal rung until I was sure all the rats had disappeared. The roar faded into the distance. I heard Eddie's heavy breathing. He let out a sharp groan and dropped to the floor. I let go of the bar and lowered myself, too. I waited for my heart to stop pounding, for the blood to stop throbbing at my temples. That was a close call. I shuddered. I knew I'd see the hundreds of tiny red eyes in my dreams, hear the clicking of their long toenails and the swish of their scraggly tails. Let's get out of this disgusting sewer. Mr. Starks must be frantic searching for us. I beamed the light ahead, keeping it down on the floor, and we started walking. The tunnel floor rose up and curved to the left. We started to climb. There's got to be an end to this sewer. It's got to end somewhere. Sue, listen. We both stopped. Eddie had noticed a faint but different sound. The sound of wind rushing into the tunnel. 
That meant we had to be close to the end and that the sewer emptied somewhere outside. Let's go. The beam of light bounced ahead of us as we started to run. The tunnel curved again and then suddenly ended. I saw a metal ladder reaching straight up, straight up to a large round hole in the tunnel ceiling. Gazing up at the hole, I saw the night sky. Eddie scrambled up the ladder, and I pulled myself up right behind him. It was a cold, damp night, but we didn't care. The air smelled so fresh and clean, and we were out, out of the sewer, out of the terror tower, away from that frightening man in the black cape. I gazed around quickly, trying to figure out where we were. The tower tilted up toward us, a black shadow against the blue-black sky. The lights had all been turned off. The tiny guardhouse lay dark and empty, not another soul in sight. I saw the low wall that divided the tower from the rest of the world. And then I found the stone path that led to the exit and the parking lot. They left us. How are we going to get back to the hotel? I started to answer, but stopped when I saw a tall, white-haired man limping toward us, moving fast, pointing and calling. You there! You there! Oh, no. Now what? Are you the two kids that the bus driver was looking for? He had a different accent from Mr. Stark's. I think it was Scottish. Eddie and I nodded. Well, I'm the night guard here. There's no one here but me after closing. Uh, where is our bus? It left. He searched all over for you, but he couldn't wait any longer. How do we get back to our hotel? Our parents will be really worried. Do you have any money? There's a phone box on the corner. I can call for a taxi. I reached into my jeans pocket and felt the heavy coins my parents had given me before Eddie and I had set out on the tour. Then I breathed a long sigh of relief. We have money. It'll cost you at least 15 or 20 pounds from way out here. That's okay. Our parents gave us British money. If we don't have enough, my parents will pay the driver. The black taxi pulled up about 10 minutes later. The driver was a young man with long, wavy blonde hair. Eddie and I climbed into the back. It was warm in the taxi. It felt so great to sit down. What hotel? The Berkeley Park. Soon we were back in the center of London. Cars and taxis jammed the streets. We passed brightly lit theaters and restaurants. The taxi pulled up to the front of the Berkeley Park Hotel and eased to a stop. The driver slid open the window behind his seat and turned to me. That'll be 15 pounds, 60 pence. I don't really know what is what. Can you just take the right amount from these? What are those? Uh, coins. Do I have enough to pay you? Do you have any real money? Or are you going to pay me with play money? Why would my parents give me play money? I don't know your parents. Well, they'll pay you the 15 pounds. 15 pounds 60 plus tip. Where are your parents? In the hotel? Yes, they were at a meeting in the hotel, but they're probably up in the room now. We'll get them to come down and pay you. In real money, if you please. If they're not down here, in five minutes, I'll come in after you. They'll be right down, I promise. I shoved the big coins back into my pocket, pushed open the door, and scrambled out of the cab. Eddie followed me onto the sidewalk, shaking his head. What was wrong with that money? I don't know. I guess Dad made a mistake. The door slid open on six, and we hurried side by side down the long, carpeted hall to our room. I stepped around a room service tray on the floor. Someone had left half a sandwich and part of a bowl of fruit. My stomach rumbled again, reminding me how hungry I was. Eddie ran up to the door to room 626 and knocked. Hey, Mom! Dad! It's us! Open up! 
We pressed our ears close to the door and listened. Silence. No footsteps. No voices. Hey! Are you in there? Hurry up! It's us! They must be out of the meeting by now. Mom! Dad! Are you there? No reply. Eddie's shoulders slumped. Now what? We better go down to the desk. We'll find out what room the meeting's being held in. Then we'll go there and talk to Mom and Dad. We made our way back down the long hall and took the elevator to the lobby. Can I help you? We're trying to find our parents. They're in a meeting, I think. Can you tell us where the meeting is? What meeting is that? I thought hard. I couldn't remember what the meeting was called or what it was about. It's the big meeting. The one people came from all over the world for? Hmm. We have a problem. There aren't any meetings in the hotel this week. I stared back at him. My mouth dropped open. I started to say something, but the words just didn't come out. No meetings? No meetings. May I ask your room number? 626. I'm sorry. That room is vacant. What? There is no one in room 626 at the present. But we are. Let's all remain calm. We will find your parents. Now, what is your last name? I opened my mouth to answer, but no answer came to my mind. I glanced at Eddie. His face was knitted in concentration. What is your last name, kiddies? If your parents are in the hotel, I'm sure we can track them down for you. But I need to know your last name. I stared blankly at him. I had a strange, tingly feeling that started at the back of my neck and ran all the way down my body. I suddenly felt as if I couldn't breathe, as if my heart had stopped. My last name. My last name. Why couldn't I remember my last name? I could feel my body start to shake. This was so upsetting. I couldn't stop shaking. My name is Sue, I told myself. Sue. Sue what? I grabbed Eddie by the shoulders. Eddie, what's our last name? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. Oh, Eddie, what's wrong with us? What is wrong with us? Turn the tape over, unless... You've got goosebumps. and hugged him. We have to stay calm. If we take a deep breath and just relax, I'm sure we'll be able to remember. Eddie stared straight ahead, gritting his teeth, trying hard not to cry. The desk clerk suggested that we go to the hotel restaurant. He promised he'd try to find our parents while we ate. Well, that was fine with Eddie and me. We were starving. We sat at a small table in the back of the restaurant. How are we going to pay for the food? Our money isn't any good. We can charge it to the room. When we figure out what room we're in. Eddie nodded and slumped back in his high back chair. A waiter in a black tuxedo appeared beside the table. He smiled. Welcome to the Berkeley Park. 
And what may I bring you to connoisseurs this evening? Could we see a menu? There is no menu right now. We're still serving tea, young lady. Only tea? No food? <laughs> Our high tea includes sandwiches, scones, croissants, and an assortment of pastries. If this is to your liking. Yes, we'll, we'll have that. He gave a quick bow of his head, turned, and headed toward the kitchen. Maybe if we tell the man at the front desk what Mom and Dad look like, he can help us find them. Good idea. I swallowed hard. I opened my eyes. I couldn't conjure up any kind of picture of my parents. I tried thinking about Mom. Was she blonde? Red-haired? Black-haired? Was she tall, short, thin, fat? I couldn't remember. Where do we live? Do we live in a house? I can't picture it, Sue. I can't picture it at all. We've lost our memory. At least part of our memory. How? How could that happen to both of us? At least we still remember some things. I remember the tour we took today. I remember everywhere we went in London. I remember Mr. Starks. I remember... What about yesterday? What did we do yesterday, Sue? I started to reply, but my breath caught in my throat. I couldn't remember yesterday, or the day before, or the day before that. A chill went down my spine. Oh, Eddie, something is terribly wrong. Eddie didn't seem to hear me. His eyes were locked on the front of the restaurant. I followed his gaze and saw the slender, blonde-haired man step into the room. The taxi driver, we'd forgotten all about him. I jumped up, the napkin fell off my lap onto my shoe. I kicked it away and reached down to tug Eddie's arm. Come on, let's get out of here. Eddie gazed at me uncertainly, then back at the taxi driver. The taxi driver had stopped just past the entrance. His eyes were searching each table. Hurry, he hasn't seen us yet. But maybe we should just explain to him. Explain what? That we can't pay him because we lost our memory and don't know our name? I really don't think he'll buy that, do you? Okay, how do we get out of here? The front door was blocked by the taxi driver. But I spotted a glass door on the back wall near our table. The door had a filmy white curtain over it and a small sign that read, No Exit. But I didn't care. Eddie and I had no choice. We had to leave, fast. I grabbed the knob and pulled the door open. Eddie and I slipped through, then tugged the door shut behind us. I don't think he saw us. I think we're okay. We turned away from the door and found ourselves in a long, dark hallway. This must be an area used by the hotel workers, I thought. The floor had no carpet. The walls were dirty, stained, and unpainted. We turned a corner. I held out a hand to stop Eddie. Footsteps. Had the taxi driver seen us duck out? Was he coming after us? My heart pounded. What a horrible day. And then the day turned even more horrible. The man in the black cape stepped out from around the corner. Did you really think I wouldn't follow you? Did you really think you could escape from me? He moved forward quickly, his face hidden in the shadows. Eddie and I were trapped, our backs pressed against the curtain glass door. As the caped man drew near, his features came into view. His eyes were dark and cold, his mouth was locked in a menacing snarl. He raised his palm to Eddie. Give them back. Huh? Give what back? The caped man kept his palm in front of Eddie's face. Give them back now. Do not play games with me. Eddie's expression slowly changed. He glanced at me, then turned back to the caped man. If I give them back, will you let us go? I'm totally confused. Give what back? 
<laughs> Do you dare bargain with me? Eddie, what is he talking about? But Eddie didn't reply. He kept his eyes locked on the shadowy face of the caped man. If I give them back, will you let us go? Hand them back now. The big man leaned menacingly over Eddie. Eddie sighed. He reached into his pants pocket, and to my shock, he pulled out the three smooth white stones. My brother, the pickpocket, had struck again. Eddie, when did you take those? In the sewer, when he grabbed me. But why? I don't know. They seemed important to him, so I thought... They are important. The caped man grabbed the stones from Eddie's hand. Now will you let us go? Yes, we will go now. That's not what I said. Will you let us go? The man ignored him. He piled the stones one on top of the other in his palm. Then he chanted some words, words in a foreign language that I didn't recognize. The hallway began to shimmer. The doors began to wiggle and bend as if made of rubber. The floor buckled and swayed. The caped man began to shimmer and bend too. The hallway throbbed with a blinding white light. I felt a sharp stab of pain as if I had been hit hard in the stomach. I couldn't breathe. Everything went black. Flickering orange light broke the darkness. I opened my eyes, blinked several times, took a deep breath. The caped man was gone. Eddie, are you okay? Uh, I think so. I gazed down the hall, startled to find it lit by flickering candles. There's got to be an elevator down here somewhere. We entered another silent hallway, glowing eerily in darting, dancing candlelight. But we passed only dark, closed doors. Turning another corner, we nearly bumped into a group of people. We were startled to find others in these long, empty hallways. I stared at them as they passed. They wore long robes, and their faces were hidden under dark hoods. I couldn't tell if they were men or women. They moved silently, making no sound at all. They paid no attention to Eddie or me. Uh, can you tell us where the elevator is? Sirs, please, have you seen the elevator? One of them turned back toward Eddie. The others continued moving silently down the hallway, their long robes swishing softly. I stepped up beside my brother and the robed figure. I could see the face under the hood, an old man with bushy white eyebrows. He peered out at Eddie, then at me. His eyes were dark and wet. His expression was sorrowful. I smell evil around you. What? My brother and I would... Do not leave the Abbey. I smell evil around you. Your time is near. So near. So very near. What, Abby? Why are you saying that? The old man nodded his head solemnly under the heavy hood. Then he turned away from us and glided silently after the others, the hem of his robe sweeping along the bare floor as he vanished around a corner. What did he mean? Why did he try to frighten us? It has to be some kind of a joke. They're probably on their way to a party or something. They were creepy, Sue, and they didn't look like they were in a party mood to me. Let's find the elevator and get up to the room. I don't like this whole part of the hotel. It's just too dark and scary. Hey, I'm the one who gets scared. You're supposed to be the brave one, remember? We wandered down one long candlelit hallway after another, feeling more and more lost. We couldn't find an elevator or stairs or any kind of exit. Can't we go outside and walk around to the front? We could, if we could find a door that led to the outside. 
We turned a corner and kept going. Candles flickered on both sides of us. The eerie dim light, the endless tunnel of a hallway, all made me feel as if I were running through a dream. We turned another corner. The misty candlelight blurred as I ran. I'm floating through a dark orange cloud, I thought. Do these empty candlelit halls ever end? A door appeared in front of us, a door we had never seen before. It has to lead to the outside, I told myself. We raced to the door. We didn't slow down as we reached it. I stuck out both hands, pushed hard. The door flew open, and we stepped out into bright sunlight. Outside, we had escaped from the dark maze of the hotel corridors. It took a few seconds for the harsh white glare to fade from my eyes. I blinked several times, then I gazed up and down the street. Oh, no. Eddie... What has happened? It, it, it's daytime. But the bright sunlight wasn't the only shock. I knew that only a few seconds had passed since Eddie and I had burst out of the hotel. But in that time, everything had changed. What's going on? Where are we? It's like we stepped back in time. Eddie, look at the people. Oh, no. I grabbed Eddie and made him turn around. The hotel was gone. In its place stood a long, low building built of brown stone. It appeared to be some sort of inn or meeting hall. I don't get this, Sue. We've got to find the hotel. I'm very mixed up. Me too. I took a few steps along the dirt road. It must have rained recently. The road was soft and muddy. This is downtown London, I told myself. How can I hear cows in downtown London? Where are all the tall buildings, the cars and taxis and double-decker buses? A blonde-haired man dressed in an outfit made of black and brown rags appeared from behind the long building. He carried a bundle of sticks in his arms. My shoes sank into the mud as I hurried across the road. Hey! Hi! He peered over the bundle of sticks at me. His blue eyes widened in surprise. His hair was long and unbrushed. It fluttered over his shoulders in the breeze. Good day to you, miss. Good day. Are ye a traveler? Yes, but my brother and I are lost. We can't find our hotel. He narrowed his blue eyes at me, shifting the bundle onto his shoulder. He appeared to be thinking hard. Our hotel. Can you tell us where it is? The Berkeley Park? I waited for him to reply, but he just stared back at me, squinting and frowning. I do not know those foreign words. Hotel. You know, a place where travelers stay. Many stay at the Abbey. He pointed to the long, low building behind us. I could see that he didn't understand me at all. Please, pardon me. I must be getting the wood along home now. He nodded goodbye, lowered the bundle from his shoulder, and headed down the road. Eddie, he doesn't know what a hotel is. Do you believe? Eddie? Eddie? glanced up from their vegetable picking. Did you see where my brother went? They shook their heads and returned to their work. I had to jump out of the road as a cart pulled by a groaning, grunting ox came barreling past. I made my way behind the cottage. Eddie couldn't have gone very far. I had only taken a few steps toward the next cottage when a shadow slid over the road. Startled, I raised my eyes to see the dark figure blocking my path. His black cape fluttered behind him in the wind. He wore a new black hat, and his pale, pale face poked out from its dark brim. I stepped back out of his shadow and stared at him in horrified silence. 
I said it was time for us to go. Where's Eddie? Do you know where Eddie is? A thin-lipped smile crossed his pale face. For some reason, my questions seemed to amuse him. Eddie? Do not worry about Eddie. He took another step forward. His shadow fell over me again. It made me shiver. Glancing around, I saw that the two women picking vegetables had disappeared into their cottages. Everyone had disappeared. I, I don't understand. Who are you? Why are you chasing us? Where are we? <laughs> you know me. Oh, I don't know you. What is happening? Your questions cannot delay your fate. You've made a mistake. You've got the wrong girl. I don't know you. I don't know anything. Come with me now. No! Not till you tell me who you are. Not till you tell me where my brother is. Brushing his heavy cape back, he took another step toward me. His boots sank heavily into the mud as he strode forward. I won't come with you! My hands pressed hard against my cheeks. My legs were shaking so much I nearly sank to the ground. I glanced around, getting ready to run. Would my trembling legs carry me? He read my mind. Do not think of running away. But, but... You will come with me now. It is time. He strode forward quickly, raised his gloved hands, and grabbed me by both shoulders. I had no time to struggle, no time to try to break free. The ground started to rumble. Another ox cart bounced around the corner. I saw the driver slap the ox with a long rope. The cart moved so fast. A blur of groaning animal and grinding wheels. The black-caped man released his grasp and leaped back as the cart rolled at us. I saw his black hat fly off. I saw him stumble in the deep rut in the mud at the side of the road. I saw him stagger back off balance. It was all the time I needed. I wheeled around and started to run. I bent low as I ran, hiding beside the grunting, straining ox. Then I turned sharply and dived between two small cottages. I caught a glimpse of the black-caped man as I waited between the cottages. He was bending to pick up his hat. His bald head shone like an egg in the sunlight. He had no hair at all. My chest ached and the blood throbbed at my temples. Keeping low, I ran along the backs of the cottages. The green pasture stretched to my left. Nowhere to hide there. The cottages grew closer together. I heard crying children. A woman was roasting something over a fire. She yelled at me, but I didn't slow down to reply. Two scrawny black hounds came after me, snapping at my legs. Shoo! Shoo! Go home! Glancing back, I could see the tall, dark figure gliding easily over the grass his cape sweeping up behind him. He's catching up, I realized. I have to find a hiding place, I told myself. Now! I ducked between two small shacks and nearly ran into a large red-haired woman carrying a baby. The baby was swaddled in a heavy gray blanket. Startled, the woman squeezed the baby to her chest. You've got to hide me. Go away from here. Please, he's chasing me. I pointed through the space between the cottages. We could both see the black-caped man running closer. Please? Don't let him catch me. Hide me. Hide me. I cannot. I, I'll pay you. I suddenly remembered the coins in my pocket. The coins the taxi driver refused to take. I shoved my hands into my pocket and pulled out the coins. Here, take them. Take them all. Just hide me, please. Gold sovereigns. Oh, gold sovereigns. I saw one once when I was a little less. Will you take them? Will you hide me? She dropped the coins into her dress. Then she shoved me through the open doorway of her little cottage. It smelled of fish inside. I saw three cots on the floor beside a bare hearth. Quick, into the kindling basket. It's empty. 
She pushed me again toward a large straw box with a lid. My heart pounding, I pushed up the lid and scrambled inside. The lid dropped back down, covering me in darkness. On my hands and knees, I crouched on the rough straw bottom of the box. I struggled to stop panting, to stop my heart from thudding in my chest. Where is she? She's right in here, sire. I put her in this box for you, sire. She's all wrapped up for you, ready for you to take her away. My heart jumped to my throat. In the blackness of the box, I suddenly saw red. The woman took my money and then she gave away my hiding place. How could she do that to me? I lifted my head as I heard the woman whispering into me. I'm so sorry. Oh, I hope you will find it in your heart to forgive me. But I dare not go against the Lord High Executioner. What? What did you say? The basket slid faster, bumped hard, bumped again. What did you say? I did not hear her voice again. A moment later, I was tossed against one side, then the other, as the basket was lifted up. Soon after, the basket began to bounce and shake. The helpless prisoner inside the straw basket, I knew I was on some kind of carriage or horse cart. The Lord High Executioner? Is that what the woman had said? The shadowy man in the black cape and black hat, he is the Lord High Executioner? My head hit the front of the basket as we jolted to another stop. I shivered. My body was drenched in a cold sweat. The air in the box had become sour. I began gasping for fresh air. Suddenly the lid flew open. The harsh sunlight made me shield my eyes. Remove her. You've made a terrible mistake. I don't know why I'm here or how I got here, but I am the wrong girl. I am not who you think I am. Again, he did not reply. He gave a signal with one hand, and the guards took my arms and turned me around. And as I turned away from the executioner, away from the sun, the dark castle rose in front of me. I saw the wall, the courtyard, the dark slender towers looming up over the stone castle. The terror tower. He had brought me to the terror tower. This is where Eddie and I had seen him for the first time. This is where the executioner had first chased after us. In the 20th century, in my time, in the time where I belonged, hundreds of years in the future. Somehow, Eddie and I had been dragged back into the past, to a time where we didn't belong. And now Eddie was lost, and I was being led to the terror tower. Let me go! Please let me go! The soldier shoved me against the stone wall when I tried to pull free. I tried again to tug myself loose, but they were all too big, too strong. The stone stairs curved round and around. We passed the cell on the narrow landing. Glancing toward it, I saw that it was jammed with prisoners. Up the steep, slippery stairs, we struggled, up to the dark door of the tiny room at the top of the tower. No, please. This is all wrong. All wrong. But they slid the heavy metal bolt on the door and pulled the door open. A hard shove from behind sent me sprawling onto the floor, landing on my elbows and knees. The heavy door slammed behind me and the bolt slid back into place. Locked in. I was locked in the tiny cell at the top of the terror tower. Sue! Eddie! Eddie, how did you get here? My little brother had been sitting on the floor against the wall. Now he scrambled over to me and helped me to my feet. Are you okay? Yes. Are you okay? I guess. He had a long dirt smear down one side of his face. His dark hair was matted wetly against his forehead. His eyes were red-rimmed and frightened. 
the cape man grabbed me back in the town, in the street, you know, when the axe cart came by. The caped man? He's the Lord High Executioner. That's what I heard a woman call him. Executioner? But why does he want us? Why has he been chasing us? Why are we locked up in this tower? I... I don't know. I started to say something else, but stopped when I heard noises outside the door. Eddie and I huddled together in the center of the room. Someone was coming for us. A white-haired man stepped into the room. His hair was wild and long and fell in thick tangles behind his shoulders. He had a short white beard that ended in a sharp point. He wore a purple robe that flowed down to the floor. His eyes were as purple as his robe. They squinted first at Eddie, then lingered on me. Ah, you have returned. Who are you? Why have you locked us in this tower? Let us out. Let us out of here, right now! You do not remember me? Of course not. We don't belong here. You've made a bad mistake. You do not remember me, but you will. He seemed gentle, kind, not at all like the executioner. But as his strange purple eyes locked on mine, I felt a shiver of fear. This man was powerful, I realized. This man was dangerous. Just let us go. I wish it were in my power to release you, Edward. I wish it were in my power to release you too, Susanna. Hey, wait a minute. Just, just wait a minute. My name is Sue, not Susanna. The old man's hands disappeared into the deep pockets of his robe. Perhaps I should introduce myself. My name is Morgred. I am the King Sorcerer. You do magic tricks? Tricks? Did you order us locked up in here? Did you have us brought back in time? Why? Why have you done this? It isn't an easy story to tell, Susanna. You and Edward have to believe... Stop calling me Susanna! I'm not Edward. I'm Eddie. Everyone calls me Eddie. The old man removed his hands from his robe pockets. He placed one hand on Eddie's shoulder and one hand on mine. I had better start with the biggest surprise of all. You are not Eddie and Sue, and you do not live in the 20th century. Huh? What are you saying? You really are Edward and Susanna. You are the Prince and Princess of York, and you have been ordered to the tower by your uncle, the King. Wait a minute. We know who we are. You've made a big mistake. I suddenly felt cold all over. Morgrid's words echoed in my ears. You are not Eddie and Sue. You really are Edward and Susanna. I took a step back out from under his hand. I studied his face. Was he joking? Was he crazy? His eyes revealed only sadness. His expression remained solemn, too solemn to be joking. I do not expect you to believe me, but my words are true. I cast a spell upon you. I tried to help you to escape. Escape? You mean escape from this tower? I tried to help you escape your fate. And as he said this, the voice of Mr. Starks, the tour guide, returned to my ears. And I remembered the story he had told. I remembered the fate of Prince Edward and Princess Susanna. The king's orders were to smother them with pillows. But we're not them. You're just confused. Maybe Eddie and I look like them. Maybe we look a lot like them, but we're not the prince and princess. We're two kids from the 20th century. I wanted it to be so. I cast a spell, erased your memories. You were locked in this tower. I wanted you to escape. First, I whisked your way to the safety of the abbey. Then I sent you as far into the future as I could. 
It's not true. It's not true. Not true. I'm Eddie, not Edward. My name is Eddie. Just Eddie? What is your full name, Eddie? Uh, well... Eddie and I don't know our last name. We don't know where we live. When I sent you far into the future, I gave you new memories. I gave you new memories so you could survive in a new and distant time. But the memories were not complete. That's why we couldn't remember our parents. But our parents? Your parents, the rightful king and queen, are dead. Your uncle has named himself king, and he has ordered you to the tower to get you out of the way. He's... he's going to have us murdered. Yes, I'm afraid he is. His men will be here soon. There is no way I can stop him now. I don't believe this. I really don't. But I could see the sadness in Morgred's eyes. The sorcerer was telling the truth. The horror of the truth was sinking in. My brother and I weren't Eddie and Sue from the 20th century. We lived in this dark and dangerous time. We were Edward and Susanna of York. I try to send you as far from this tower as possible, far into the future to start new lives. I wanted you to live there and never return. Never return to face doom in this castle. But what happened? Why then are we back here, Morgrid? The Lord High Executioner was spying on me. He must have known that I wanted to help you escape. And so when I cast the spell that sent you into the future, the Executioner must have hidden nearby. I used three white stones to cast the spell. Later, he stole the stones and performed the spell himself. He sent himself to the future to bring you back. And as you both know, he caught you and dragged you back here. Morgrid took a step forward. He raised his hand and placed it on my forehead. The hand felt cold at first. Then it grew warmer and warmer until I pulled away from the blazing heat. As I pulled back, my memory returned. Once again, I became Princess Susanna of York, my true identity. I remembered my parents, the king and queen, and all my memories of growing up in the royal castle returned. My brother glared angrily at Morgrid. What did you do to my sister? As Edward backed up until he bumped into the stone wall, Morgrid placed his hand on my brother's forehead, and I watched my brother's expression change as his memory returned, and he realized he really was the prince. How did you do it, Morgrid? How did you send Susanna and me to the future? Can you perform the spell again? Yes. Can you perform it once more? Can you send us to the future now? Before the king's men come? Oh, alas, I cannot. I do not have the three stones. As I told you, they were stolen by the Lord High Executioner. A smile slowly spread over my brother's face. He reached into his pocket. Here they are. I stole them back again when the Executioner captured me in town. Vastus hands and all Britannia. Edward handed the stones to Morgrid. Morgrid did not smile. The wizard raised the three stones into the air, and they began to glow. It's a simple spell, actually. I pile the stones up, one on top of the other. I wait for them to glow with a bright white heat, and then I pronounce the words, Morovum Lovaris Movaris, and then I call out the year to which the traveler is to be sent. That's the whole spell? That is the spell, Prince Edward. Well, do it again. Please hurry. I, I cannot. 
He returned the three stones to the pocket of his robe. Then his expression grew even sadder. It is my fondest wish to help you escape again. But the king will torture me and put me to a painful death if I do. And then I will not be able to use my magic to help all the people in Britain. Tears brimmed in his purple eyes and ran down his wrinkled cheeks. I... I only hope that you enjoyed your brief time in the future. You... you really cannot help us. I shuddered as he lowered his eyes to the floor. I, I, I cannot. Even if we ordered you? Even if you ordered me. He wrapped Edward in a hug. Then he turned and hugged me, too. I am helpless. I, I beg your forgiveness, but I am helpless. How long do we have to live? Perhaps a few hours. He turned away. He could not bear to face us. A heavy silence fell over the tiny room. The gray light filtered down from the window above our heads. The air suddenly felt cold and damp. I couldn't stop shivering. Edward startled me by leaning close and whispering in my ear. Susanna, look! Morgan left the door wide open when he entered. Edward, run! I took a running step and froze in midair. I turned to see Edward freeze too. His arms outstretched, his legs bent in a running position. I struggled to move, but I couldn't. I felt as if my body had turned to stone. It took me a few seconds to realize that Morgan had cast a spell on us. Frozen stiffly in the center of the tiny room, I watched the sorcerer make his way to the door. Halfway out, he turned back to us. I'm so sorry, but I cannot allow you to escape. Please understand, I did my best, I really did. But now I'm helpless, truly helpless. Tears rolled down his cheeks into his white beard. He gave us one last sad glance, then the door slammed hard behind him. As soon as the door was bolted, the spell wore off. Edward and I could move again. I sank to the floor. I suddenly felt weak, weary. Edward stood tensely beside me, his eyes on the door. What are we going to do? Poor Margaret. He tried to help us. He wanted to help us again, but he couldn't. If only... I stopped talking when I heard the heavy footsteps outside the door. At first, I thought it was Margaret returning. But then I heard hushed voices, the sounds of more than one man, right outside the door now, and I recognized the booming voice of one of them, the Lord High Executioner. I climbed tensely to my feet and turned to Edward. They've come for us. To my surprise, Edward's face remained calm. He raised his hand. He had something hidden in his closed fist. As he opened his fist, I recognized the three stones, Morgrid's smooth white stones. They immediately began to glow. Edward? Again? I lifted them from Morgard's robe when he hugged me. Do you remember the spell? I... I think so. Edward, please hurry! Edward struggled to stack the glowing stones one on top of the other. The one on top kept slipping off. Finally, he held all three in a small tower in his palm. Edward held the glowing stones high and called out the words, Movarum, Lovarus, Movarus. The glowing stones exploded in a flash of white light. The light faded quickly. I glanced around. Oh, Edward, it didn't work. We're still in the tower. Before my stunned brother could reply, the door swung all the way open, and there they stood. A tour group? I didn't recognize the tour leader. She was a young woman dressed in layers of red and yellow t-shirts and a short skirt over black tights. 
I grinned at Edward. I felt so happy. I didn't think I would ever stop grinning. You did it, Edward. You did it. Your spell did work. Call me Eddie. Call me Eddie. Okay, Sue? We were back in the 20th century. Back in the tower as tourists. Moving right along, people. Right, right here we are. This tiny tower room is where Prince Edward and Princess Susanna of York were held as prisoners. They were held here and sentenced to death, but they were never executed. They didn't die up here? What happened? Uh, ah. No one knows. On the night they were to be murdered, the prince and princess vanished disappeared into thin air. It is a mystery that will never be solved. All right, moving right along. I guess we know the answer to the mystery. Eddie and I turned to see Morgrid grinning at us. He winked. I saw that he was wearing a purple sports jacket and dark gray trousers. Thanks for bringing me along. We had to bring you, Morgrid. We need your parents. Shush, now don't call me Morgrid. I'm Mr. Morgan now, okay? <laughs> okay. And I guess I'm Sue Morgan. And this is Eddie Morgan. I slapped my brother on the back. The tour group started out of the tower room, and we followed. Eddie pulled the three white stones from his jeans pocket <laughs> and began juggling them. If I hadn't borrowed these from your robe, that tour guide would be telling a very different story, wouldn't she? Oh, yes, she would. A very different story. Come on, let's get out of here. I never want to see this tower again. I'm starving. Ah, shall I perform a food spell? Oh, no. I think we've had enough spells to last a lifetime. <laughs> How about we go to a burger palace for some good old 20th century hamburgers and fries? Hey, that sounds like a great idea. What do you say, Eddie? Uh, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Created by Parachute Press and published by Scholastic Incorporated. This audio adaptation was produced and distributed by Walt Disney Records.